0: as we begin this new series of messages from the on the for the book of advent i began it like three years ago and as those of you who come here regularly know that it kind of takes me a long time to finish something like that Uh, so so we're back at it Uh, the the minor prophets of the old testament through advent you may say i've never heard of minor prophets that's why they call them minor because you haven't heard of them Uh, they're the last 12 books of the old testament so if you go to the book of matthew and turn to the left you will find them all. There's twelve of them right there in a row, uh, and they they are they ministered during the uh, at the end of uh, the Old Testament before the, the, the church would, or the the temple was destroyed, and uh, so we're going to get into all of that. But uh, Habakkuk is the one we're at today. Say that with me because it's kind of fun to say Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Yeah, I don't think that's actually how you say it, but that's how we say it here in America. So we're just going to go with it, because, uh, you know, it's, or that's how I say it from Mississippi, so that may not be how y'all say it, but but that's how I say it, so that's kind of, that's the right way, right? I always tell people that. The right way is how I do it. Uh, but anyway, Habakkuk and you and I are struggling with this question, right? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? Is the same, he didn't say it exactly, but his version of the question, right, is in, in Habakkuk chapter three verse seventeen. He says, "Though the fig tree doesn't bud and there's no grapes on the vines, there's no and the crops fail, the fields don't produce food. Though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, there's nothing. Nothing is working. Everything is gone. Er, nothing. How are we gonna? What are we gonna do? Like I like I don't understand. Nothing is going right. How are we gonna get through this?" He asks. As I said, he's one of the minor prophets. Right? He. He ministered from about the year 640 BC until the year five six hundred. Let's say from 640 to 600 BC. He during the rule of Josiah. You may have heard King Josiah. He was uh, he he ministered during that time. So if you're not sure of your Old Testament history, let me just catch you up. Give you the cliff note version of it. Right at the end of the Old Testament, right Israel is divided between north and south. There are ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. The ten northern tribes had been They they rebelled against God, and they were they were eventually overtaken by the Assyrians in seven twenty one BC. Seven twenty one BC, they got hauled out by the Assyrians in brutal ways. You can read about it in the Old Testament. The southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin were left, and Judah and Benjamin they actually became known as just Benjamin or Judah. I'm sorry, just the the tribe of Judah. They kind of merged together. But it's Jerusalem. It's the southern part of Israel. it's, It's what if you look at the map. It's Israel or Jerusalem and this is where we have these minor prophets doing their ministry this is where we have Habakkuk doing his ministry Habakkuk is living in a time when there's starting to be a little bit of a religious revival in the nation of Israel it's it's about a hundred years or so before they rebuild the temple right before Ezra and Nehemiah before those books come along and and those guys come along and rebuild the temple back in the last time around Habakkuk is troubled by the, the the situation of his of the people. He's troubled by it, despite the fact that people are are there's a religious growth in the people. He's still troubled by the sin of the world, and God is going to show him in this book that this three chapter book that we're going to fly through today. Uh, you know, some of you are thinking, he can make three chapters into like a six-month sermon series. You know, Normally I could, but this time I'm not, we're going to do the whole book in one day. <clears throat> Thanks be to God. <clears throat> but God is going to show the, the Habakkuk and the Israelites how he's going to use the Babylonians to punish his people. God's people, the Israelites. Ooh, you may say, that doesn't sound good at all. No, it's not. No, it's not. But in this give and take between Habakkuk and God, we actually see this conversation. like Habakkuk brings his struggles, his questions, his, his worries, his fears to God, and then he listens to God's response. In that, instead of God just telling him, right, write it down on a tablet and send it and pass it along. But no, we, we get the behind the scenes, the conversation. And in that we learn a lot about God. And I believe we also learn about ourselves as we see Habakkuk. But then God tells him to write it all down and give it to people, to run around and tell people what I'm telling you, pass it along. So we find ourselves with Habakkuk's complaint. So just like on Thanksgiving, you could, when you sat down, you're, you're grown folks, you could have sat down and said, hey, forget the turkey thing, bring out the pecan pie. You could have done that, but you didn't, right? You chose to get the stuffing, the turkey, the extra gravy, because it was dry turkey, you know, and so you, you put the extra gravy on it, and you just like gravy, you got the sausage stuffing, the string bean casserole, you got it all, right, so we're not going to the, skip the sweet potatoes, we're going to enjoy the sweet potatoes, so we're going to go through the whole book, not just go to the end, because everybody wants to just get to the end, get to the point, but no, we're going we're gonna to build it up from there, he starts his complaint in the beginning, Habakkuk does, he says in verse 2 and 3, he says, how long, Lord, must I call out for help, but you don't listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. How long, God? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict is everywhere, God. Don't you see it? God, God, are you listening? Don't you hear it? See, Habakkuk knows that God should be listening. He knows because what he's experiencing is wrong and Habakkuk just like me and you he knows when things are wrong right we know when things are wrong right when it just feels wrong we know how it should be we all know how the stories are supposed to end and when they don't look like they're ending that way there's a problem. It happened to me just last week. I don't know, this may leave some of you, some of you may want to get up and leave, but but last Sunday I was watching a show that I've been watching for years, The Walking Dead. Uh, now, if you can get past the blood and the guts and the, uh, the gore of it all, it is a great story. I'm, t- I'm You don't believe me, but I'm telling you, it's a great story. So anyway, I've been watching this show for years, right? And a few years back, my favorite guy in the whole show, Rick, he gets taken away and, and like no, nobody knows where he is, what he's doing, like, did he die? Did he, like, we just have this question, right? And so I'm watching the last series of the last, the last episode of the, the whole series, and I'm thinking, okay, Rick's coming back, because they've kind of left us out there, like, where, what's he doing? He kind of comes up in conversation every now and then, so I'm like, Rick's coming back. So I'm watching the show, and that's like, this seems kind of weird, like, like, how's Rick going to come back? In the- this doesn't make sense. They're not, like, even prepping me for it at all. It's like, they're sitting down to eat Thanksgiving dinner. It's like, and I'm thinking, what, is he going to walk through the door like Jesus? I mean, like, what, is he just going to show up at the thing? Nope. They ate. And that was it. And I'm thinking, what a ripoff. <laughs> what a ripoff. They have kept me wanting to see this Rick come back. All this time, his kids are there. Like, like oh, come on. His daughter's there, kind of sad, because everybody else has somebody to love on. And she doesn't have her dad. I'm like, man, this is, I'm angry and then they went to black screen and popped back up and there's rick putting a message in a bottle i'm still alive i'm trying to get back to you and he's throwing bottles in the lake and i'm like thank you lord and they cut to his wife and she's on her horse and she's riding around looking for him i'm like oh thank you sweet jesus because i i wanted there to make sense right and that's what we would do when things don't go the way we want we don't we don't need to miss the pain but daggone please just God, help it make sense to me. Explain it to me, right? Isn't that what we want? It's like, I'm okay with going through some difficulty, but don't just, I can't handle it if it if it doesn't matter. Fortunately, they'll come with another series, I'm sure, and they'll explain to me what Rick's been doing all these years while I've been waiting for him to show up. But that's a whole nother, I'll talk about that later. We go on, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, God. This is Habakkuk speaking to God. He says, you can't tolerate wrongdoing. Then why do you tolerate the treacherousness? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves, God? Why why aren't you doing something, God? This isn't fair. This isn't fair. You ever said that to God? Yeah, me too. I felt silly when I said it. But I said it. God, this isn't fair. I mean, Habakkuk, he was looking at the Babylonians, right? Cruel, treacherous people. He was looking at them having victory over God's people. What? How is this fair? Habakkuk, he gets to the question that many of us have asked from time to time, right? Philosophers described it as the problem of evil. That's what it's been known as for centuries. And that is, if, if God is real and God is good and how is there evil in the world? Why is suffering in the world if God is so good? Why do why do good people suffer? Why doesn't he stop it? A lot of people have a problem with God. A lot of folks disbelieve because of all the wrong in the world. They can't believe in goodness anywhere. I've heard it said when it comes to God preventing evil and suffering that if if he's good, he would. If he could, he should. And since he doesn't, that means he can't. But is that really the case? Is there any other explanation as to what God is doing? This isn't the only place that we see a faithful man struggling in the face of hardships of life. Over the course of the next few weeks through Advent, we're going to look at Six more or five more of the, or four more, I guess, four more of these minor prophets and the situations that they found themselves in. But today we see Habakkuk staring straight in the face of suffering. And he's asking, where are you, God? Why aren't you speaking, God? Why aren't you doing something? The fact of the matter is, is what Habakkuk will learn is that suffering is one of God's most common tools to drive us, to lead us, to pull us into a deeper faith. Some of you sitting in this room today know that because you've experienced that. You've been through hard times, and it did nothing but make your faith stronger. I, I read recently of a story of a man named Alan Gardner. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but he was a missionary from England. Uh, he was shipwrecked on his way down to South America. He was going down to start a new mission, uh, and they was shipwrecked on an island. <clears throat> the, the people that, that survived the shipwreck, right? They, they tried to stick it out. They knew that help was coming. They were waiting for somebody, but no one came. Finally, they died of starvation. No one came. Several months later, though, the the rescuers finally had found them. They discovered the body of Gardner. His his personal journal that he used was, was was underneath him. He had fallen on top of his journal. The last thing that he had written in his journal was Psalm 3410. Psalm 34.10 reads this way. Those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. That was the last verse of Scripture that he wrote. Those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then underneath it, in his his own words, he wrote, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God as he starved to death. That's powerful, right? Like, how? He knew what Habakkuk was about to learn and that we're going to discover today, he knew about a power that can actually strengthen you in times of tragedy. He knew about a, about a power that, that God gives that actually enables you to live a, as a real superhuman. Human. Your real superpower. You get it. With this power, you can actually live beyond yourself. You know what it is? It's Hope. Hope. Nothing on earth is more powerful than hope. There is nothing more powerful than hope. Nothing compares to its ability to transform a person or a situation in the face of this world. Hope. I've shared with you before this legendary study about hope that was conducted at John Hopkins. You may think, John Hopkins would study hope? Like, What a random thing for them to do an experiment on. Well, they weren't really doing it on hope, but that's what they discovered. You see, they took a, a... bunch of rats and they put them in a pool and what they found out was that a rat could swim for 10 minutes until four it stopped swimming and drowned then somebody said well let's let's change some things they put more rats in the pool and within that first 10 minutes they pulled them out two or three times they just picked them up out of the water and put them back in and you know how long they swam after that 60 hours why Hope. Hope. They believed that, they could keep going, that that if I could just swim a little bit longer, somebody's going to pull me out again. If I can just go a little bit longer, there's a chance. They changed nothing else. And they swam a hundred times longer than they had the first time. Habakkuk has a lot to learn. And fortunately, he has the right posture. A posture that he invites us to. When he asks these questions of God, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, it's not fair. He says in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer to my complaint. See, Habakkuk, Habakkuk took, a, took the approach, of not pride, but of humility. It's important because I mean we all we all have questions for God, right? But oftentimes we see our questions, our lack of knowledge, actually becomes confidence. Like like somebody tells you something to explain something that happened, and you're like, "That nah, couldn't be it." I mean, You may not say it out loud, but you think to yourself, "Like, no, nah, no way, no way." Right? That's how we often do it. When if you tell me something, and I, then I don't buy it, I'm I, I don't even though you saw it firsthand or whatever, it's your, it's, you know it for sure, and yet I'm like. Nah, I don't understand it, but instead of saying, help me understand that, I often say to myself, they don't know what they're talking about. They got no idea. When I don't know, right? That's not what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk, he says, I've heard your complaints and now I'm going to watch and wait. I'm going to watch and wait. He was humble. It's important for us to take that posture before God. When we don't get it, not just to pretend like, I ah, it couldn't be it. No, God's not like that. How do you know? Why don't we take a humble approach to God? He doesn't mind our questions. What he always has problems with is our, the way we come off with our questions. That we want to be the one who knows all things. That's what was Job's problem. So we find God's answer in chapter in, the, in here as well. Okay, so Habakkuk brings his questions, brings his concerns, brings his worries, his accusations you might even say to God. And then God answers him. In verse 5, he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. You wouldn't believe it if somebody told you, but you're going to see it. God says, just you watch, Harakuk. Just you watch. The word translated here as nations is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to rebels or invaders, Right? But here, Habakkuk is, it is translated as the other nations, the people around them. In the New Testament, Paul refers to the same verse, right? And in Paul's reading, he does not talk about the Gentiles, the, of the world. He's talking about the Israelites, the people that lack faith. That's who Paul refers to as the nations, the rebels. So when you, we read this today, we read God is saying, just you watch. I'm going to do something amazing in my people. In my people that don't believe. Something that you wouldn't believe if you didn't see it for yourself. In verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The whole world is going to see it. This is going to be huge. This is going to be big. Right? You kind of get that sense. Something big is about to happen. In verse 4 of chapter 2, look at the proud. They trust in themselves. Their lives are crooked, but the righteous, hear this, the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. God says, I I know, I I know. Like Habakkuk is saying, what are you doing using these people? These Babylonians. God says, I know who I'm dealing with when I'm dealing with the Babylonians. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. He knows the reality of your hardship too. God does. He knows. He isn't surprised. Don't, don't think God isn't aware of what you're struggling with. Don't think so. Don't think that, it's not, that God doesn't know it's not fair. God has a plan for handling the Babylonians too. That's what chapter 2 is all about, how he's going to handle the Babylonians. He goes on to explain it. He says, but you stop worrying about them. You worry about your relationship with me. You walk by faith. You walk by faith. The righteous ones live by faith. So do that. Don't worry about how unfair it is, how, how it's not right. I got it. You're right. But have faith. Have faith in a God who, in verse 20 says, is on his holy temple, is in his holy temple. So let all the earth be silent before him. The God, the sovereign one, the one who's in charge of all things, says, That's who I am. Have faith in me. God says, I am in charge. All things are subject to me. All things. And yes, I am doing something. But (laughs) let's you and I, let's let's talk, right? Let's have real talk for just a second. Oftentimes we don't like what God is doing. Isn't that true? We look around the world. If we say that, okay, God is working out there, but we look around the world and we're like, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like what God is doing. Whatever he's allowing to do or whatever he's doing, I don't much like it. So here's the question that both Habakkuk and we need to answer. Is it possible for a good God to allow something painful when he could do something to stop it? Is it possible for a good God to allow something painful in people he loves when he had the ability to stop it I, I'm a Tom Clancy fan, I uh, read a lot of his books and, and watch a lot of the movies and which you all probably do too, I mean there's pretty popular stuff and I was watching recently a series called Jack Ryan. And I'm, I'm watching Jack. He's, Jack is off to save the world again, right? And uh, he's going into this hospital to, to stop the guy from putting the virus in the air, air conditioner system. And, and he, he runs in and there are people laying all over the place who are hurting and dying, right? They're in pain. And they're crying out for help. And he just pfft, runs right by them. Now, if you were laying there in the floor with your child and someone walks in who's perfectly fine, able to help, and he doesn't help, how would you feel? That's not right. And yet, we know, because we're watching the movie, that he's actually doing something that's maybe more important, more impactful than one life. He's trying to save a thousand, right? We would be okay with that, wouldn't we? Yeah. Or, maybe you remember back when your kids were little, and uh, when our kids were little, my wife and I, we would both oftentimes, I'd take the day off, and I would would go with her to the hospital, to the doctor's office, especially when it came time for shots and we would argue in the hospital room about who was going to hold the kid while the doctor gave the shots and i'm not holding her no you hold her i'm not no i'm not holding her you hold her we would go back and forth and finally the nurse would just say, I'll, I'll take her <laughs> because we would why is that why is it okay to hold your child when they why why do we struggle with it because they would look at you with those great big eyes and big tears coming down their face please daddy don't make them do it who would want to do that right no, absolutely. I'm like, no, Michelle, you got to hold the kids. I'll, I'll take them after the shot. <laughs> I'll be the rescuer, right? That's, that's what I wanted to do. No, see? It is possible for a good God, for a good person, to allow something painful to happen if you know the thing that on the other side of the pain is worth it, is better than what it would have been otherwise without the pain. Could it be that God is doing that in our world right now? Could it be that God is doing that in your life right now? Trying to bring something better for you, for His people, out of this current hardship that you're going through? Even if you can't see it happening? you're like, that couldn't be. Because I can't see it. I can't imagine it. Can it still be? That's what it means to live by faith what paul was talking about in second corinthians 5 6 and 7 so he says so always be of good courage we know that while we're at home in the body we're away from the lord for we walk by faith and not by sight in order to live with that sort of approach it takes faith and to, to live by faith it takes faith okay so what do i do how do i how do i do that faith trusts the purposes of an all-powerful god all-knowing God, to do what is best for those he loves. How do we have that kind of faith? It's a gift. It's a gift from God to believe in him. He enables that in us. He sparks it alive. And then we exercise it. We practice faith. We trust him. And faith gives us hope. Faith gives hope. Hope in the future. It leads Habakkuk, Habakkuk and us to pray to pray and to surrender now today right now in this moment because you have hope it lets you trust god and habakkuk talks about a life-giving hope in chapter three he goes on in verse two he says lord i've heard your fame i stand in all of your deeds lord repeat them in our day in our time make them known In wrath remember mercy he says, Habakkuk saying, God, I, I've heard all the stories. I know what you've done in my life. I've seen it. Now, God, make it happen again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. I trust you. I know you can, Lord. Do it. He goes on to explain, to, to, to point through, back to three, four, five different episodes that have happened in the life of the nation of Israel. His splendor was like the sunrise rays. Flash from his hand when it, where his power was hidden. He's talking about what the experience on Mount Sinai when, when uh, Moses was up there in the burning bush, right? The God shone like the, burning, the fire of a bush. Habakkuk, in verse 5, the plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He's remembering back to the deliverance of Exodus when, when God brought the curses upon Pharaoh, right? Verse 10, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and filled and lifted its waves on high. He's remembering when, when God split the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk right through. In verse eleven he says, Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. God, they're remembering when when Joshua was in battle and, and God froze the sun. He held the sun still while the nation of Israel was at war. And then in verse 13, he says, you went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and you stripped their bones from head to toe. God, you, you have been faithful to protect your people from the beginning. He says, all the, all the way through, God, you've been providing a way." Habakkuk, like every other faithful Jew was steeped, was steeped in this history of God's people. How time and again, and again, and again, God had provided him. Habakkuk grew up knowing these stories. and He had developed over time, and certainly now in this conversation with God, he is developing an exodus perspective on life, right? You might say it a deliverance mindset. It helped him in three clear ways here. It helped him, first of all, to see that they weren't, and he wasn't now, and we're not today, innocent. We're not innocent. We look at all the stuff that's going wrong in the world. But none of us are, Scripture's clear that no one is innocent. I mean, let me be clear now. I'm not talking about your, your, your specific suffering. I'm not talking about a particular problem. Like, like the accident you had, it's not because you messed up when you were in high school. Okay, you hear me now? It's not because you, you, you lied to your spouse four years ago. That's not why you had that. It's not why the specific thing is not connected like that. But bad things happen all over the world because the world is filled with sin. Because sin is rampant. Yes, there are some things you can do that have consequences, but God is not judging sin. That way. Like Sin is the judgment on the world. Our world is broken and all creation is broken. And newsflash for you, you are part of creation. And so you are broken too. You don't see things as they truly are. You don't say the things you ought to say. You don't do what you ought to do all the time, right? We know we don't. We broke, we just went through Thanksgiving, right? Amen? How many times did I go back and get more food? When there was no need to go back and get more food. I was plenty full. I had just woken up, actually. But I wanted it. And so what did I do? I went back and got it. We deserve punishment. We deserve punishment because we do wrong things. And yet this morning, I had some fantastic coffee. I would share it with you, but I'm not. Mm, it's still hot too. I woke up this morning in a warm house, comfortable bed. I've been blessed today. So the question isn't, God, God, why do bad things happen to good people? That's not the right question. Who's good? The question is, why do good things happen to bad people? That's the real question. You see, Habakkuk knew the people of Israel weren't innocent. And so he wouldn't allow them to see themselves as a victim either, right? Because they were taking part in the brokenness. They had a role to play in the brokenness of the world. Same for us. We have a part to play in it. So let's don't judge those people so quickly when we're those people. Second thing, Habakkuk's exodus mindset, right? Right? does for him and it it kept before him the ability of his God who his God is his God is not unable to do amazing things right he's already done them in the past and he's continuing to do them like like I can't be short-sighted because my God is short on power and the third thing that that Exodus story reminds him is that God does not give up on his people God doesn't give up on his people so Habakkuk comes to this this experience now with this exodus mindset, with this deliverance mindset. And he determines that he's going to live in spite of his circumstances, in spite of his circumstances. He says in verse 16, I trembled inside when I heard this, my lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me. I shook in terror when God described all the ways that the people of God were going to suffer at the hands of the Babylonians. He says, I'm I'm afraid. Like He's got a fear in his gut, literally, is the way the the words read in here. And yet, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. I will wait quietly for God to do what he's got to do, and we're going to get out the other side. He dreads what's coming. He's not looking forward to it, but he's going to submit. Wait quietly. This tells us, this tells you and me that hope can live with our grief. Hope can live right alongside of our emotions. I had a funeral this weekend, and you know how people they, they hold back tears. And hope says, Man, "Let it go. Just feel it. You don't have to. You, you actually don't have to feel any old way. You can feel anyway. You can feel. You can just feel, and it's okay. The hope can." can exists in fear in mourning and grief and pain and frustration you can still have hope why look what paul look what he experienced later though the fig tree does not bud and no grapes on the vines though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though there are no sheep in the pen no cattle themselves everything is falling apart god even though yet i will rejoice in the lord i will be joyful in god my savior You see, you see why hope can live with grief and and suffering and frustration is because hope is a choice. I will, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will. I've decided to. I'm going to decide to. It, It may not be good, but I can rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is good. So everything else may be bad. There may be nothing good in your life. You can still rejoice. Because the Lord is good, and He is in your life. No matter what, you can rejoice. You can have hope. The sovereign Lord is my strength, He concludes with. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on new heights. You see, hope grows from the depths of faith. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those National Geographic shows or not, where they have the the deer, the, the, the rams up on the mountains, on the cliffs, like just running along, up there headbutting each other, carrying on, you know, I, I wish I could get our goats to do them I mean, they 're headbutting all the time. They climb on stuff. they ran through the barn the other day and they 're like like parkour like major they 're like jumping on stuff and kicking up and carrying on i 'm like, would you guys like I had to lock them out because they were just tearing up too much stuff, just having fun, right, just having fun, climbing on stuff that it 's ridiculous to climb on, but that 's what he 's talking about here is that that you see those rams up standing where there 's nothing to stand on. And yet they're standing, they're they're running even, when there's nothing to stand on. Hope grows from the depths of our faith. When there's nothing there, hope grows out of that. Because there's always something there. There's always God there. And Advent, you see, is God's invitation for the suffering to have hope. That's why Advent's such a big deal. That's why we get ready for Christmas. Because it's an invitation for those without hope, to actually live in it, to thrive in it. We have more reason to be confident than Habakkuk. You have more reason to be ha- confident than Habakkuk does. Because ultimately, the Exodus was a picture of what Jesus would do. That's what the, the Exodus story is, actually a story of Jesus. I don't know if you ever knew that or not, but, but that's really what it is. The, the, the blood on the doorpost is actually a sign of the cross. That, that everything that Moses did in the Exodus story was a prelude to Jesus. So, I don't know what trials, worries, I don't know what fears that you're facing in this season of life. I don't. I don't know what your doctor said that you heard loud and clear. I don't know what the relationships in your life are like. I don't know how your business is doing, how your finances are. I don't know. But I do know that our culture today. Is becoming less and less comfortable with the ideas that a follower of Jesus may be eager to share or may want to share or that you hold dearly. I do know that there are times in your life when you have to bite your lip because you don't know how it's going to be received when you talk about your faith. I do know. I do know that you have a reason to have hope in spite of all this. Jesus died that you might have new life. That you and I might have a new life to make you a part, us a part of his kingdom here on earth through the life of his church. I do know that he has given you his spirit to enable you to live with this this superpower of hope. Because the spirit of God is alive in you. And that enables you to develop a deep faith in the midst of of anything this world can bring to you. God bless you this Advent season. From me and Habakkuk, I'd like to pray for you. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in the midst of this season. Lord, for many of us, it's not, it's not that joyous yet. But Lord, we, we gather in your presence. We love you. We thank You for what You're doing, Lord. We thank You for how our focusing ourselves on You, focusing our living on You, not focusing on the world and the problems that are around us, God, but but turning our eyes to You can bring hope. We thank You, God, for Your goodness, Your love, and Your mercy. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you just a couple of ways that you can uh, engage this hope over the next few days. Uh, on the 11th of December, uh, John A. is going to gather up... Where's the box, John? Is it in the hall? Yeah. Be a, there's a box in the hall. Uh, there's a prayer list in the back back there where we have a whole list of people who are homebound, they're in nursing homes. That every year you all send them Christmas cards. So if you would be so great, this is how you can share some hope and enlighten somebody else's day who has nothing else to, to look forward to, but they are looking forward to these Christmas cards. So uh, if you would... Bring those in by the 11th. If they're going to one of the people on that, the nursing home list, make sure you put the room number on there because it just saves time and makes everything quicker. Uh, but but bring, bring your stack of cards in. Uh, John A. gets to be Santa Claus and deliver them all, and he loves that, and it's a, it's a blessing for those folks' lives. Another way you can, you can spread some hope is next Saturday. Uh, the Bazaar is happening here in, here in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, I know that Vivian and Chris... They're looking for some folks to help out in the kitchen, I know. Debbie's probably got some other names of people, some other jobs for you. If you just show up, they'll give you something to do. Uh, I promise you in that. uh, But that's a great experience for our community to come, and some kids are going to come and and, uh, experience the love of Christ, right? During this Advent, it's a chance for us to share the love of Christ, to invite people into a relationship with him, right? That's how you share hope. Amen? Take part in what's going on in the life of our church, all right? Amen. We're going to sing one more song. Right?